Hello and welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm delighted to be joined by our guests today, Ella Bennett, Group People Director, EasyJet Airline Company Limited, and Leonard Howe, Vice President of Digitization and Product Transformation for City Commercial Bank Asia Pacific, and also One Young World Ambassador. Now, in this episode, we're going to be exploring how businesses can act responsibly in an ever-changing people landscape. We'll be finding out how digital is transforming products, processes and people management. Interestingly, we'll be also delving a little deeper into how EasyJet, from a sector significantly impacted by the pandemic, is emerging through this difficult period. And we'll be finding out how it's managing its business through the current challenges and taking actions to make major changes to the airline structure, positioning EasyJet for recovery. And from one side of the world to another, we'll be meeting our Hong Kong-based guest, uh, Leonard, who is driving City's digital transformation of its commercial bank segment in Asia. We'll be finding out how digitization is impacting the way banks approach client delivery today. Lots to talk about, so let's, uh, let's get stuck in. Ella Leonard, welcome to The Lens. So if we start with you, Ella, first of all, Group People Director for EasyJet. Oh my goodness, I would say over this last couple of years, you have been challenged incredibly. It's true that you actually employ 13,000 people across eight countries. What has that been like during the pandemic? Great question. We're in a great place now because we're coming out of it, but it has been a, a really tough two years. Um, and when I took this role for an airline, I never would thought I'd see all our planes grounded, which they were two years ago. We operate out of eight, eight countries, um, uh, with unions across all those countries. So that meant we had to understand what the furlough arrangements were in all of those countries so that we could put all of our crew where we needed to on furlough. And then we went through a process of working with our unions across those countries. We reduced the size of those bases, closed some bases down. Other times we changed working practices and hours, um, putting people onto different types of contracts. So a whole range of stuff, as well as we shrank in our head office in an airline you'd normally plan once a year. And we were doing that sometimes over some of the summers, almost on a sort of weekly basis. It was tough, but we're kind of poised for recovery now. Yeah, well, you must have done an OK job. I see you actually won HR Director of the Year this year at the HR Excellence Award. So something must have gone right, even though it was a massive deep dive, in your own words, into running HR across all of these borders. Can I just go back a little? I'll come back to where we are yes. now and that recovery. But I'd love to know a little bit more about your background and how did you end up being the uh, head of people group director for EasyJet? Yeah, I started my career in the voluntary sector a long time ago now. It's a tough sector. I work for a, a housing charity and then for Mind, which is a mental health charity here in the UK. And you don't have a lot of resources in the charity sector. You have, and, and especially in Mind, we were kind of dealing with kind of cutting edge mental health problems, both 
with our client base, but also really addressing that in the workplace. I think before that became a thing that other other organisations now do. So it was a great place to learn the trade. I spent 15 years in a Japanese IT company, Fujitsu, where I did a whole variety of roles. And I think really at a time when IT was um, going through itself a big transformation, which was, again, great experience for me. So I left Fujitsu and went to work for a UK company called Home Retail Group, which was Argos home base and Habitat, and did then a much more customer-facing HR role in retail. During that time, we were bought by Sainsbury's. So lots of experience of M&A and then stayed on and helped to integrate those two companies and left there and and went to EasyJet, really thinking that there couldn't be much more difficult experience coming my way. Little did I know there was going to be a pandemic. Little did you know is right. Okay, well, Ella, what a background really um, to get to where you are today. Leonard, as I said already at the start, you're dialing in from Hong Kong today. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Would you be able to share with our listeners a little bit about who you are? You have this very, very grand title, Vice President of Digitization and Product Transformation for City Commercial Bank Asia Pacific. What does that actually mean? Good morning. Thanks for having me on here. I basically transformed the way the bank serves clients through the entire client journey from the end to end. That means at every touch point from prospecting, onboarding, implementation, servicing, and beyond, with the sole goal of giving clients a more simpler, holistic, more experiential experience with by banking with us, while making this more efficient for us as the bank internally as well. Wow. Okay. So that is is massive. And we've seen huge changes in the way that we bank over the last number of years. We've definitely moved away from the, the bricks and mortar and the tellers. At what point do people uh, feature in all of this work or has it moved away from people? I think at, at the core of it, it's only become more people oriented, given that if you think about banking as you have banked um, historically, you think of very, very manual brick and mortar process. You have to be at a branch to put a transaction in, to file a new application, to update your personal particulars. What we've seen within banking here within Asia and more so globally as well is the silver lining in the pandemic has really catalyzed a growth of banks by being more digitally focused for our clients. So people hasn't gone away at the heart um, gone away from the, how we run our processes. In fact, it's become even more people-oriented because now banks are cutting on to the fact that you have to make this more easier for the client wherever they are because of the pandemic. So it's actually the client experience. They're, they've become the people, but I'm wondering about the bank's employees. Are you simply replacing products and processes digitally or what way does that work so i think in terms of that you know there's never been a focus of sidelining our staff in the interest of digitization rather we're focusing on how can we ameliorate manual pain points that our staff currently have to go through and during their day job and making them more efficient so it's really more of empowering the bankers internally to do a more efficient job than replacing people through automation. I don't think that's what Citibank is about at all. And I think to some degree, you'd never really be able to eliminate that 
personal touch in banking. And Leonard, how did you get to where you are today? What was uh, your start in life? Where did you grow up, etc.? I've had a pretty roundabout journey to be where I am today. Um, I was born in Singapore, went to school in the US and Singapore as well. Began my career as a journalist. I was a correspondent with Thomson Reuters. I covered the financial markets. I think that really gave me an insight into the financial services industry, mm -hmm. particularly banking, given that's where Reuters um, is known for being a newswire. So I was, I joined Citibank as a summer intern in my final year of college, thinking it would be a simple summer job. And in short, I got hired before I graduated. I joined the bank immediately and I've been here ever since. My goodness, amazing. Ella, I'll come back to you now at this stage. We were talking a little bit about the challenges that you faced over the last couple of years and now positioning yourself for recovery. Do you feel that you're moving forward? So we're seeing, we're seeing good bookings into this summer, which is really exciting. In order to kind of fly a summer, you start the work months earlier. So we've been recruiting cabin crew and retraining pilots throughout the winter. My team particularly busy leading up to us starting to fly. Did you actually have to lay off people uh, during the pandemic or did you find that people left? During the pandemic, we depended country by country, but in the UK, we made some redundancies and now we're rehiring for cabin crew, pilot, but we're not doing that much rehiring. But it will depend on what happened in each of the countries. How does digital help you achieve what you need to achieve and how does it help during periods of change? I think one of the things that we're proud of both in the sort of HR people function, but also across the airline, is that we haven't rested during this time. We've used it as a time to keep on developing and innovating. So, for example, I think we were one of the biggest users of furlough, certainly across Europe, but a lot of the stuff that we did was automated across that period, whereas that it might not have been at the beginning of that, of that time. We wouldn't have had so much automation and you know, we were doing things like asking people to sign contracts. We made people redundant via DocuSign, all sorts of things that you would never dream that you could get there in, in an ordinary world. And then in terms of our customers, we've kept on investing, you know, for us, really important how our booking systems, the sort of customers interaction into how we price, how we engage with our customers, all of that we've kept on investing in. And those are kind of key areas for us going forward that we really understand our customers from a sort of data and digital perspective. Yes, I mean, even in the last 10 years, just the way you actually get a flight, it's very similar to banking. It's uh, so much is, is led now by the client and you download your app and you you do your checking in yourself and you try and get the bag size right. Yeah, <laughs> Always absolutely. a bit of an issue, but we get there. Do you find that people have, you know, you implement change like this and there's usually a bit of resistance at the start because people think, how does this work? Do you feel that you're educating people enough in, or do you just let them make the mistakes and learn the hard way? It's really interesting. If I cho choose hybrid working as, a, as an example of sort of implementing big change, I suppose, in the workplace that we've all had to go through. The way we did it was we very much have said we're trialing it, as in, you know, we might not have all the aspects right and we want people's feedback. It's not set in stone. And we used it as a way of doing a lot of manager training. So because actually it's not one size fits all. 
we spent a lot of time training managers and how to use hybrid and individual conversations with their teams. And it was something that was a kind of cross-functional program. You need IT working, you need the facilities, you need the safety aspects are important. I think in delivering good change, cross-functional teams and adapting and actually not creating the rules at the beginning, but learning them as you go along is kind of how you bring people along with that change. And Leonard, you're particularly invested in the merger of new digital trends with the latest trends in user behaviour. And this is something that I know that you've said really fascinates you. So what do you think is the most exciting thing that's happening digitally in the world of banking at the minute? I think that's a big shift in clients now to having solutions that are more client-oriented and cutting out the middleman. So things like buy now, pay later is an emerging trend within Asia, particularly where you're able to use deferred payments to uh, pay down a, a purchase. And I think given more so that in some Asian markets here, there is marginally lower credit card penetration than other markets compared to Singapore, Hong Kong, um, and possibly in the UK as, as well. So I, I think we're seeing a lot of opportunity in the Asian markets towards having more deferred payment solutions for clients. And that's really something that's been born out of the whole client experience being simple, gamified, and easily accessed. So do you think that digital trends dictate user behavior or is it the other way around? And you know, how much are you looking up at your competitors and seeing what they're doing all the time? That's a catch-22, Sarah. What I can say is that looking only at banking and not at, at other industries, there definitely is a, a focus on banks being more nimble to meet clients' expectations of what a, a bank should be. I think we look at banking now as catching up with the with what I call the Appleization of client experience. You think of experience, you think of Apple. So many banks nowadays are having to update their, their UIs for one thing, their apps. But more than that, the processes to match what clients expect nowadays in terms of speed, efficiency, and experience. I think banks would never be able to innovate as fast as a fintech or a startup. But where are advantages is that our balance sheet gives us a lot more impact to learn from others, execute stronger and deliver a stronger and a better product. And in terms of your existing customers, I mean, you've been going for a long time, but there's so much risk attached to a digital banking where everything is done, perhaps, as you say, through your phone or literally in the click of a button. But when I think maybe of an older demographic who really this is so alien to them banking in this way, and they're so conscious of protecting their money and their assets. There's, do you feel there's so much more risk attached to the way that we bank now with hackers and financial crime out there? Whether you're looking at retail, retail clients or corporate clients, um, the common factor is, is that a lot of the older decision makers are less digitally savvy. So my job really ties into how can we help them overcome that vote bump and, and embrace being digital. In terms of risk, if you look at Banking digitally today versus the more antiquated approach of people have in mind where you store your cash underneath your, your mattress or in a kettle somewhere. I mean, there's a lot more risk with that. What we have to do and what I think banks are trying to do faster now is to communicate that inherent 
less risk by being digital to our older consumer segment. And whenever you do have a problem, so say something's not quite right and you want to talk to somebody, so you log online and then immediately you're faced with a bot and having to talk using a bot. It can get frustrating when you just think, I just want to speak to a human being. I feel the same way. <laughs> and, you know, at the risk of uh, saying the wrong thing here, it's something that I think banks should never really ever replace people with processes. There has to always be that human touch, whether you're with the airlines like, like Ella is or in banks like I am, there has to be that human element, whether you're talking to a bot or you're talking to an agent. Where, where I, I think I want to see banks being a bit more cognizant of is striking that balance a little bit more efficiently um, by having the consumer feel that even when you're talking to a bot, it's either faster in some ways so that it kind of outweighs the, the, the missing human touch that they may be going through. Interesting. Ella, I'll probably bring you in on that same point. I mean, obviously, you know, for a big organization, you could see how digital transformation will just is 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 exactly where you need to be. But people vote with their feet and you have trip advisors and you have bad reviews now. So, you know, I'm even thinking when the low cost airlines first came in and um, it was like streamlining process, get rid of this. And really, it got to the point that you felt well, it wasn't that maybe pleasant, luxurious, people-focused experience that it should be. Has it gone back to that customer experience and how important that is to business? I mean, I think it, it, clearly that customer experience is important. I think it will depend the different point of the journey that you're on. So when you're booking your flight, you want a seamless, easy digital experience. And then you kind of want the movement through the airport to be as easy and not memorable as possible. And then you want your flight to be a great experience. So I suppose we will think about that customer journey and where we invest in different ways. So clearly it's really important. And I think people choose EasyJet because of how, how brilliant our people are. So your actual experience when you're on the plane is that's governed by the warmest welcome that you get when you arrive and, and how our cabin crew are. But then if there's disruption, which might not be caused by us, it might be caused by the weather. Actually, what we've done well is develop an app where people can understand what that disruption is going to be and make changes to their flights and adjust things as they need to. So I think that customer experience goes in and out of being digital to human and, and it needs to at the right points and you need to have the right touch points. Having that information about there's some weather disrupted your flight before you set off on your journey is far more important than than somebody welcoming you and telling you it's going to be bad when you get there. I absolutely agree. And Leonard, did you want to come in there? I did. I wanted to just echo that really strongly because I think that's a great point, Ella. Um, even within CDSO, what I've been trying to do is... How can we democratize information to even eliminate the need for a client to call the bank or to talk to a bot? How can we take what we know internally, give it to the client in a factual, efficient way to consume without the bank being involved and taking out that need in the first place? Yeah, I think that's that, that whole continuous improvement, isn't it? And then 
giving as much information as you can so people can plan, make their own plans and changes or whatever they need to do themselves. It comes it's down to good communication again. I mean, if people feel they're being communicated with and included, if there is a problem, if you tell them and you're straight with them, they understand perhaps and you're less likely to end up with all sorts of angry people looking to speak to somebody. And Leonard's point about you share the information, you share the data. So the data is kind of, as he says, democratised. I think that's such a good point. That's something that's very important to you in sharing yeah. of data. Yeah, and I think it's, especially it seems to me, as you're driving people change, the need to have people who understand the data and IT alongside that. In a way, you can't do one thing without the other. Um, and I think more and more those two kind of traditionally siloed functions in organisations are having to work together. I think that's where good change happens. A good example would be we've got huge numbers of data scientists thinking about products and ideas that, that adapt to what our customers are, are asking for. And I think it's that, that sort of agile adaptation of what do your customers need? Does this work? Can you adapt? Can you move on? I mean, I think that's the world of work and organisations all over. It's not just airline. It happens in retail. It happens elsewhere. But that ability to sort of understand the world through data science is just part of work life now. And Leonard, would you agree? I mean, you're constantly exploring new ways of doing old things, but how much, how central to that is, is data? So however I make my decisions are already centered on two things, right? people and data. In my opinion, you can never argue against data. People may give opinions anecdotally that may not really necessarily uh, be the majority opinion. But what, where I think data comes in is that allows us to look at things at a very factual, objective level and make decisions from there. Even though HR, if we think about your role, Ella, it implies the human connections all the time. It must evolve with technology for a future that's both human and digital. And I think that's right. I've been thinking about how we retain people in the organisation. And if you're bringing in people, especially younger people, they're used to a seamless world that works easily. And therefore, their experience of the workplace and how they can make changes for themselves and how they can access their, if you're a manager, how you can access data about your teams, all of that stuff is really important. It's the human experience of some of that technology that's important. And then I think more and more, how do we reflect internally what we what we give our customers so you know easyjet's an airline where you can do stuff easily or online through an app i want that experience to be similar for our employees so when crew who don't have many touch points with a sort of physical workplace how do they get easy access to stuff that they need for their working lives and interact with that when it suits them in the same ways you want our customers to. And can I talk to you a little bit, though, about climate change? Obviously, we look at airlines now. We know that that's one of the greatest challenges that we're facing. Where does that sit on terms of the level of challenge and where do you feel everybody is and how perhaps can digital help with that? 
So that's a good question. I think clearly it's really important to us as an airline. And currently what we do is we offset our fuel emissions. I think for us, it's at the core of our values and the heart of how we operate and make decisions. You'd want data and digital to help you be as fuel efficient as possible so that all the decisions you make about how you consume the world's resources are done in the most efficient way. And then clearly for airlines, there's investment in future technologies. That's kind of also what we're hoping for. And I'd love at this point to ask if either of you have any questions for each other. We like to give this opportunity to our guests. <laughs> Ella, would you like to ask anything of Leonard? I wondered, are you having big people retention challenges? Are you seeing sort of market for the skills we've been talking about? About people retention? We've not let people go as a result of COVID. We have been very clear on maintaining our operational strength, even through the, the impact of the pandemic. We have also seen people, again, how can we marry people with processes that's a lot more difficult to enable more efficient uh, work? So on the people retaining aspect, hasn't really been an issue that I've observed within city. And you find it easy to recruit some of the cutting edge data science and technical skills that you need? Or when you need new skills, can you get them? By and large, yes. There will always be a certain draw or rather towards fintechs or startups, especially looking yeah. at the whole industry of transformation, digitization, and technology. That's something that I think banks can never ever really combat against, where I think banks do stand to have a little bit of an edges. By sole nature of our balance sheet, we can do a lot more. It may yeah. not be as fast as other companies, as smaller fintechs can, but we have the heft behind what we want to do. That makes sense. And Leonard, Good question. Thank you, though. Yeah. Have you any for Ella? I did. I wanted to ask, how do you see the impact, right, on travel particularly and how clients now expect things to be a lot more efficient and, and faster? I know you said earlier that you have different phases of the client journey. You have what you want them to deliver or to take away from the app, the flying process and the airport process. I guess, is there any common theme that ties all those different expectations together? We just fly intra-Europe, so we're tending to fly shorter flights that get people either on business or to their holiday destinations. And I think more and more what people want is as efficient as possible, as easy as possible, to some extent as democratised as possible an experience. And I think that's actually what we do well, and one that's transparent about what it's going to be, what it's going to cost, how the experience is going to be. In terms of a data standpoint, I'm guessing that now you've got algorithmic aggregators like Google and names yep. that slip my mind yep. right now. I'm assuming that's also factors a big part into how you democratize flight information to your clients. Absolutely. And how we then think about our pricing and our engagement and how, yeah, all of that is very digital and driven by algorithms. And can I just come in and ask both of you a little bit about the impact of global change? Obviously, um, with COVID-19, we saw how drastically that affected every part of the globe. And Leonard, you know, what's it like in Hong Kong at the minute? Hong Kong is still a bit more behind in that front. We, uh, The country is pursuing a zero COVID mentality. Um, so we still have lockdowns past 6 p.m. every day. You cannot eat out with more than two people. Traveling into the country is extremely onerous with quarantines of up to 14 days and self-funded hotels that you pay for. Gosh. Um, so, Sarah, I, I mean, your question was, how is it like now? Um, not too far off from where we were two years ago in 2020. 
Wow. Goodness, that must be so challenging and difficult. And do you see that changing anytime soon? Yes. You know, in fact, I think the impact has now become unavoidable and they're relaxing. They're not removing their relaxing deregulations uh, from April onwards. So not totally gone yet to the way I think things are in the US or the UK right now. But hopefully we're going to get there soon. And Ella, if you want to come in on that too, you still are operating across eight different countries in Europe and there yeah, are we, different, different rules. We fly to lots of places in Europe and there are different rules in those different countries. Absolutely. And I think some parts of Europe have been slower to come out of some of the mandates. So, yeah, and we're adapting whatever we need. We're seeing stronger sales in the UK because a lot of the rules, a lot of our rules have gone, but it's picking up as well across Europe. So I think you see the trend, certainly the trend to more travel. What about the war in Ukraine? What has the impact, if any, been on EasyJet of, of what we're seeing? This is clearly really devastating. We fly only into Krakow, so we don't do a lot of flying in Eastern Europe. At the moment, our fuel is hedged up to a certain amount. So at the moment, we're managing the impact on fuel. Do you see um, a point where you'll be raising prices because of the cost of fuel? I think our prices will stay good market prices. Who knows what will be the effect into future years, but I think we're aiming for a good summer. Okay. Leonard, what about you watching from Hong Kong with interest, I'm sure? I am. You know, Ali, you talk about flying. I've not flown for a while, but I look forward to the day that I can fly again. Okay. Well, at Business in the Community, we're celebrating 40 years of supporting and challenging businesses to think about how they can go faster, braver and bolder in the responsible decisions they have to make. What does that look like for you both, particularly in a digital world, Leonard? I think one for banks is definitely being a bit more embracing of change and of risk. We are a little bit more conservative in terms of our risk approach. Run fast, break things, apologize and say sorry later. Uh, hasn't so much featured in banking, that mindset, but I think what I will hope to see is that as part of us trying to promulgate and to inculcate a more transformative mindset, there's a bit more senior level engagement and acceptance around that much bit more of risk in terms of being inventive and cutting edge. Because if you look at how the biggest fintechs come about today. It's about them really doing something that's not been done before and taking risks along the way of it possibly failing and then succeeding. Okay, Leonard, so taking more risk. Uh, what about you, Ella? Having a kind of internal culture where you're m many more people working in an agile way, a sort of mindset where we kind of test an idea, if it works, we put it into practice. If it doesn't, we move on. I think at the moment that's been more constrained to some of those in data science. But I think that cultural adoption of that mindset is something we'll have to kind of face in the workplace. I think if you look at more global trends, it's interesting, you know, what will happen? Will we ever get to a point where we have digital passports? I mean, that has its own political, personal sort of issues. But Something like that would make travel quicker and faster, but comes with 
its own set of different issues. So I think you'll start to see some of these bigger things hit travel ads in the next few years. Mm, I wonder in 10 years' time, will they be looking back at this interview and go, see, she was she was on the money there, definitely, with that one. Um, a final question for you both, and it's a bit more of a personal one, but obviously you're both leading into big organisations. You have a lot of responsibility there, so we like to know, you know what your values are. So what's the one thing you were personally committed to do less of or more of to positively impact the world, Leonard. I've always been really big on mentorship, having been myself a beneficiary of that as a youth myself um, years ago. So I'm very engaged with my community in terms of being that mentor to to youth. Um, for the longest time, I've been engaged with people 16 and above, just being a counselor to them, helping mold and shape them as they go through very tumultuous and, of course, you know, a confusing part of their lives. And I think for me, what I've always been about is empowering younger people to make healthy decisions. That's lovely. And I suppose that affects your work as a One Young World ambassador. That uh, is something that you're passionate about too? It has. So I was very, very fortunate to work with a young entrepreneur in, in Azerbaijan through One Young World who launched a adaptive fashion startup targeting affordable clothes wear for people with disabilities. So if you think about that segment of society, they're often overlooked in terms of their fashion needs. Name you one adaptive fashion brand. One probably doesn't come to mind. So I think that was a thing that I was very privileged to be able to help do through Wang Young World, to take, to help this young entrepreneur from Azerbaijan, take his idea and put it into fruition. And I think a couple of months ago, they launched the first season Right? They had a fashion runway, they had a fashion show featuring people with disabilities wearing their clothes. So for me to see that impact on someone that I had the privilege of working with and having that be born out in an actual tangible fashion line was very gratifying for me. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Leonard. Ella, what's the one thing you'd be personally committed to do less of or more of to positively impact the world? I, I didn't know what Leonard was going to say, but I was going to say, I think mentoring for me is one way of being able to kind of, obviously, I've got a set of skills that I've gained being this old in the workplace now and, and being able to kind of mentor and give that back feels like a privileged thing to be able to do. I'm involved with a local charity called The Roundhouse that works with young adults who might not otherwise be in work or education and, and helping them kind of mentor and mentoring myself young adults I think in this particular time is a great way of being able to give back. And you're also working to make EasyJet an inclusive employer. Absolutely I, mean, I think that goes without saying that in EasyJet how we think about inclusivity and people belonging is so important for us. Well, it's been a, an absolute pleasure talking to both of you today, to Ella and to Leonard. Thank you for sharing your experiences, your thoughts about digital transformation. And it's so heartening to hear that the future is both human and digital. That's the main thing. Thanks so much for joining us on The Lens and we'll see you next time. Business in the Community's powerful network exists to convene businesses to use their resources, skills and expertise to change the world. We're open for new members right now. Get in touch at bitc.org.uk.